Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Oh, terrific to have you join me this hour. I trust that you're well and you've had a great week. I'm pleased to say that I've been really enjoying myself at home lately. So many awful things going on in the world and lots of travel mishaps for the thousands who are trying to move around. Home seems like a great place to be right now. I've been keeping myself busy putting this show together. I hope you're going to enjoy my special guests. Thanks to your request, we're going to hear from Australia's favourite hippie. He's a fabulous musician and he's always held top place for being one of the coolest. Can you guess who it is? What if I play you this? Girls on the avenue They're trying to get you in Strolling by with a rosebud smile Well, if you said Richard Clapton, you're on the money. He's coming up soon. We're also going to check in with the lady famous for that little camel song, Maria Muldaur. But first up, if you're a fan of 80s music, you're likely to have been very into that English new wave band Spandau Ballet. The group was inspired by London's post-punk underground dance scene and they became one of the most successful groups of the new romantic era of British pop, selling more than 25 million albums and having 23 hit singles worldwide, including this one. with lead singer Tony Hadley out front. Tony has enjoyed a huge career, not only with the band, but also as a solo singer, releasing seven studio albums to date. I caught up with Tony as he was preparing to celebrate 40 years of making music. Hi, Sandy. Hello, Tony. How are you? The last time I saw you, Tony Hadley, was when you guys were here in Melbourne and I was doing a documentary on you for BBC or ITN. I hung around with you, came to all your concerts. I think I was with you for about a week. We were both a lot younger then. That's a long time ago. <laughs> I know. You know what? I think, it was, I think it was actually earlier. I think it was uh, 84, 85, the parade. Yeah, okay. I was a 10 to 24, 25 then. So it's... Where does the time go? The thing is, I still feel like a kid in a sweet shop. So I, I'm, I'm not terribly nostalgic. So I'm not one of these people that go back and go, wow, weren't you great kind of thing. I never listened to Spandau stuff. I never watched the videos. I'm one of these people that as soon as the mix is, is done, I kind of listen to it to check that it's okay and everything and make any corrections. And then I'm moving on to the next project. You're coming back to Australia. We're very excited to have you back again. You have a bit of a love affair with this country, don't you? To be honest with you, it was one of the first countries, when, when Spandau released To Cut a Long Story Short in 1980, it was one of the first countries that actually embraced Spandau. There was a couple of European countries, uh, but we were more of a cult band. And although we had a top five hit in the UK, we weren't seen as, a, I don't think, as a mainstream band, not in 1980, but Australia sort of took us under our wing. And then when we got there for the first time in 84, 85, and my son Tom, who's now six foot six and 38, took his first steps at the Siebel Townhouse down in, in Sydney. Ah, what a great hotel and that so There's a connection there. And just the Australian audiences are kind of crazy. And we always have a great time. I mean, I've always said that if Australia was six hours away, everyone would want to go and confess.
your solo career after Spandau split in 1990. Why did the band give it up at that point? The band was getting more and more sort of fractious, really. The last album uh, called Heart Like a Sky, terrible title. But anyway, and I remember saying at the time, I think, look, guys, um, there were lots of personal issues going on within in, in the band, relationships and stuff outside you know, girlfriends and things like that. And then Martin and Gary were sort of getting involved in the, the, the film thing, The Craze. The, the spirit of the band, I didn't feel, was, was still there. And I said, look, guys, I, I really think we should sort of go away, like as we used to, to a residential studio in France or America or wherever. And, you know, a few beers, get that camaraderie back together. And I, I was kind of overruled and we ended up doing it in London. It took so long to make and it cost a fortune. And unfortunately, it's not a great, I don't think it's a great album. He lays alone, cries on his own For horizons that he'll never reach And all of those dreams are washed on the beach She's drowning in oceans of shackled emotions Going round to the point where I kind of remember saying this is just not working anymore and we just drifted apart. The chemistry between band members is crucial, isn't it? I mean, all those fabulous hits that you'd had in the years leading up to that, yeah. when everybody was getting on so well, really shows in the music. Yeah, I think, I think it does. I mean, I've always said that if you're not happy in yourself, that's really reflects in the music. I mean, when we came to Australia on the parade tour, we were riding the crest of a wave. We just had a really successful European tour. You know, not many people travelled in those days and certainly not to Australia. So there we were having the time of our lives, did some fantastic shows. It was mad. It was like Beatlemania. I mean, we couldn't was, even leave the hotel. It was absolutely. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. There were girls yeah. clinging on to the cyclone fences and trying to climb over and screaming at the top of their lungs. Yeah. I had first experience <coughs> of that. Yeah, it, it was like Beatlemania. It really was. I mean, you know, to, to leave in a hotel, there'd be 300 screaming girls outside at, pretty much all the time. And then you sort of look over the balcony, give them a wave, and then all, a couple of them are faint and stuff. From those early days, which was the song that you were most fond of? Well, one that I still play, well, I play all, all the hits today, really, plus my own stuff. If we're looking at the middle period after the parade tour, then it would be Through the Barricades. For me, is, is I think that's the most consummate song that we ever did. It's just got something about it lyrically and everything else. And, and it's just really anthemic. So Through the Barricades would be the, my favorite. Mother doesn't know where love has gone She says it must be youth That keeps us feeling strong I see her face that's turned to ice And when she smiles she shows The lines of sacrifice And now I know what they're saying as our sun begins to fade And we made our love on wasteland And through the barricades What's kind of weird is the generation that followed us earlier on, they're grown up, they had children, and uh, basically made their kids sit down and listen to Spandam, Durand, and <laughs> whatever else. And so we get a lot of younger kids coming along now. And it's amazing. I mean, they're singing the words. And even the new songs that we do uh, from my new album, they, they, they know the words to that too. You, you had a bit yeah. of trouble in 1999 when you tried to sue Gary Kemp for the rights to some of those words, didn't you? Well, what it was, it, 
very briefly without going back delving too much in the past we had what I thought was a, it was a gentleman's agreement to share in the publishing and then it all of a sudden stopped uh, no one actually informed me that it stopped and I tried to resolve the situation no one would talk to me no one wanted to resolve it so I felt that we had no option but to to but go to court I never in a million years given that we were at school mm-hmm. together and everything else I never thought in a million years that we would ever end up in court. And actually, I never thought we would end up with the acrimony that that exists today. Unfortunately, it's just one of those things. You take it on the chin and you move forward and um, this is the way it goes. Yeah, and you did move forward. I mean, despite that, you came back to the band in 2009 and hung in there until pretty recently, until 2017. What made you come back? Well, we had, after 2009, 2010, uh, we, we did the tour. To be honest, the person that kicked it off, do you know Shane Ritchie? Huh. He's, a, he's a performer, he's a comedian, singer, he's a great friend of mine. And he was doing a radio show. And he said to me, he said, hey, Tony, he said, come on, come on, when are you going to get the band back together again? It's a sort of running joke. And uh, in the end, I said, oh, okay, we'll get the band back. Come on, let's get the band back together again. So I just said it as a joke. And then all of a sudden, it ended up on the news. <laughs> and, <laughs> and all the fans were going, wow, the band's going to get back. So after much deliberation, after six months of sort of thinking, can I do this? We finally sort of got together and we decided that we would try and make it work and rekindle some of the friendship. So true, funny how it seems, always in time, but never in line for dreams. Head over heels, went toe to toe. This is the sound. You know, if your wife goes off and has an affair, it's, it's never quite the same. But it was good and it was successful. We then had a break for another three or four years. And then 2014, 2015, we did the Soul Boys of the Western World tour uh-huh. with the with a documentary. I toured and promoted the film with the guys for about a year and a half. And then I had to go off and do my own stuff. I'm not sure they like that very much. But um, what people don't realise is that I've been a solo artist for longer than I was ever in Spano Ballet. And it got to the point where I just, I, my position was just totally, totally untenable and I resigned. I often say that I wish the guys would have been a bit disingenuous with the truth when they've been on TV shows as to why I left. They know why I left. It was a specific reason. So it's very sad for the fans, very sad for me because I think we would have definitely have celebrated a 40th anniversary. As it happens, you're stuck with me and I'm celebrating my, celebrate my 40th anniversary. <laughs> Weekend after all this time The past is now so far behind The truth is that it's all because of you I've waited for so long for someone like you One guiding light, a star to see me the new record because of you is no shrinking violet when it comes to vocals it's quite sort of high sort of song i could do stuff now that i couldn't do when i was younger i've got more depth to my voice but i could also sing higher than i could and you were always Um, known for that incredible range anyway so you're saying it's even extended further yeah 
We did a festival and we did a cheeky version of Radio Gaga, which is, you know, Freddie's got a lovely man, Freddie, amazing voice. And we, I sing it in the original key of, of Freddie and stuff with no worries at all. I'm chatting to expand our ballet frontman, Tony Hadley, who, despite his solo success of late, is very frustrated with the way the music business runs today. The thing is, it, it, it doesn't work like it used to. I mean, when you used to release a single years ago, you'd then go and promote it in this country. There were record companies that promote it for you. It's changed so much. So it's really just an online thing. And have you managed to adapt with the changing industry as it is? If I'm honest, I hate it. <laughs> if you look at Spandau as an example, we would never have got in the present day, never have got to the true album. So think about how many wonderful pieces of music that would have been out there in the public domain, but the record companies don't. Don't support it. Yeah, it's a big problem, big problem. So the the stuff that you're doing in performance these days is really diverse, isn't it? You go from one extreme to the other. It is, yeah. I mean, the show that we're going to bring to Australia is pretty much the anniversary show because that's what we're celebrating. It's, It's going to be what music influenced me Obviously, all the Spandau Classic, everything that everybody wants because it is a a 40th anniversary. But we're throwing in a sort of, you know, first song I ever performed at the rehearsal rooms when I was at school. Punk band that influenced me, bit of Sinatra in there, a couple of new tunes as well. And you're still as passionate about performing and making music as you always were? Yeah, I think the minute you're not is the minute you should give up. I think I've got the best job in the world. I'm 62 and I'm still doing it and still loving it. The minute I stop loving it is the minute I'm going to give up. What about the other guys? Are they a bit peeved off that you're doing the 40th anniversary tour and they're not? You know, I don't know. I've not seen Martin, Gary or John for seven years now. Wow, that's pretty sad. It is really, really sad. You know, put it this way, if you wanted to get rid of your lead singer, you went about it the right way. And I think that's the most important thing about is being happy. I, I don't want the angst. Music's there to be fun. I just want to enjoy it. Tony Hadley, I won't hold you up anymore. I really appreciate your time. (laughs) Thank you. Bye, Tony. Thank you. Bye. Bye, bye. It's set to be a great tour. Spandau Ballet's Tony Hadley celebrating 40 years of making music. Check your local listings for dates. Now, don't go anywhere. Up next, we meet that lady who had that camel by the oasis, Maria Muldaur. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Are you enjoying what you're hearing? I really hope so. And now you know what time it is, don't you? Call me one hit wonder. Curse me to the day I die. One hit wonder. I hit the blunt and just wonder. My next guest is the six-time Grammy nominee who's been dubbed the First Lady of Roots Music for albums that touch on her wide-ranging influences. On her latest excursion into the vintage jazz and blues sounds of the 20s and 30s, Maria Maldar teamed up with a New Orleans street band called Tuba Skinny. She's had a long and storied career but is known around the world for one particular song. It's a silly little song about a camel. I know you know it because it captured the hearts of millions of people right across the globe. Is Maria upset to be known as a one-hit wonder? No way. As you're about to hear, she's eternally grateful that she had the opportunity to record Midnight at the Oasis in the first place. Maria Maldau, welcome to A Breath of Fresh Air and congratulations on this fabulous 43rd album. Well, thank you. I'm so glad you like it. I made it down down here in New Orleans and uh, with a wonderful band called Tuba Skinny and we had a lot of fun making it and it's called Let's Get Happy Together. You're high, so am I. Let's get happy together. You're new, me too. Let's forget about stormy weather. Fix this thing and we'll be happy together. Your 
influences range from blues and country, folk, jazz, even to jug band music, you've been through all of them and, and back over them again. Well, yes, to me that I often said that my career could be described as a long and adventurous odyssey through various kinds of American roots music, despite the fact that I had a mega hit in pop radio in 1974 with that goofy little song about the camel, you know, Midnight at the Oasis. And and so that kind of brought me to the attention of people worldwide because it was a hit not just in the States but all over. Despite that, my passion has always been to explore and try to learn to play various kinds of American roots music. So to me, that music is timeless. There's no um, expiration date on it. And and, um, I continue to discover wonderful hidden treasures of great songs and great artists that performed originally in the, you know, a hundred years ago. And that music still seems relevant and speaks to us today. Can I take you back to Midnight at the Oasis? Because we were huge fans of that song here in Australia, as everyone else in the world was. Tell me just a little bit about how that came about. Well, I was um, making my first solo album for Warner Brothers Records. I had been previous, uh, as you mentioned, I previously had been in a jug band with my then-husband, Jeff Maldar, and we made five albums and were very popular in the 60s. And when that band broke up at the end of the 60s, uh, Jeffrey Maldar and I made a couple of albums as a duo. But after a couple of years of doing that, we decided to go our separate ways, both musically and personally. So at that time, I was invited to come out to Hollywood and make my first solo album. And uh, since I don't like my own music, I always try to find good songwriters to draw from. And there was a young guitar player named David Nickturn who was very, very supportive of me because this was a very kind of traumatic moment in my life, breaking up with my husband, who was also my musical partner, and finding myself as a young single mother and so forth. Uh, And he was just very, very supportive and said, you can do this, you know. And, And I had decided to do a song of his called I Never Did Sing You a Love Song. It's a sweet little country waltz. And that was going to be one of the tunes I did on the album. And as the album was almost finished, meanwhile, I did a Dolly Parton song. I did a McGarrigle Sisters song. I did a, a variety of things. I did, It was an eclectic of material. And when we were almost finished, the producer said, you know, I think it's a pretty balanced album. I've been listening to the to the rough tracks. I think if we just had one more medium tempo song, I think it would be a really nicely balanced album. And I thought of this goofy song that David had written, and as a sort of gesture of gratitude to him, I said, hey, David, remember that song, Midnight at the Oasis, you wrote last year? Is that medium tempo? He said, yeah. I said, well, let's play it for the producer. So he whipped out his guitar and we gave him a quick rendition of it. And he said, yeah, that's all. That's, he wasn't wild about it, nor was I. But he said, yeah, that's cute. Yeah, you want to do that? So I said, yeah. And that very afternoon, we called some great musicians into the studio and recorded that. And uh, just as an afterthought, and um, as I always tell people, my gesture of gratitude toward David was well rewarded because the rest is history. And for whatever reason, that song just captured the hearts of people all over the world. Midnight at the oasis, send your camel to bed. Shadows painting our faces, traces of romance in our hands. Heaven's holding a half moon, shining just for us. Let's slip off to a sand dune real soon. Kick up a little dust.
album came out, the DJs were all saying, this is the one that's getting all the requests. That's when Warner Brothers decided to put it out as a single. And I was touring, doing my first national tour as a solo artist, opening for Stephen Stills. And I got picked up in a cab. It was a horrible, gray, cold, slushy day in Chicago in February. And the cab driver was taking me out to the suburbs where I was going to do a radio interview. And um, I'm just sitting there in the car, and all of a sudden, that song comes on the radio. And I didn't say anything, but the cab driver said, You know, that's where I'd like to be right now, on a beautiful tropical desert island with a beautiful babe, instead of here with this mess outside. And all of a sudden, I still didn't tell him anything, but I realized that the song is kind of like a three-minute little romantic fantasy, you know, like a little Rudolph Valentino movie or something. And it just captured people's imaginations in in a special way. What can I tell you? (laughs) Nobody was as surprised by the success of that song as you were. As I was. I'm here to tell you, and to this day, I still get people who, like when I give them my airplane ticket, when they look at my my name, somebody will suddenly start singing that song. And, you know, that's like 46 years ago. So God bless David for writing it. It's just a song that continues to uh, move people. People ask me, "Are you ever? do you ever get sick of singing that song? And I go, hell no. I get on my knees and thank God every night that I had the opportunity to record it. And it's brought people a lot of joy. It's good. Absolutely. What about the fact that you haven't had as successful a hit since then? Does that bother you? I had a couple of hits in a couple of subsequent albums. I had one called I'm a Woman, written by Weaver and Stoller. Well, I can wash out 44 pairs of socks to have them on the line. You know, I can start your nine, two dozen shirts, but you can count from one to nine. Well, I can slip up a great big dip up a lawn from a dripping stand. Throw it in a skillet, do my shopping and be back for it. And start all over again to number 12 on the charts and then on the third album I had one called Sad Eyes that was written by Neil Sedaka that had medium success but the thing is I never was about commercial pop success it was the last thing on my mind I'm all about trying to honor and pay tribute to the great American roots music that's come before me and that's inspired me. So I got to record with Dr. John and James Booker and Ry Cooter, David Lindley, all my musical heroes. And I've just continued that little journey my whole life. So not having a big mega hit again did not bother me at all. Well, you've been really rewarded for all the work you've done. You've had six Grammy nominations and and a whole host of different awards, the latest being the Trailblazer Award at the Americana Music Honours. You must be feeling very satisfied with the career that you're enjoying. So far, so good. I have to say it's been really a blessing all the way along the the journey. And speaking of the Americana Award, uh, someone was interviewing me about a dozen years ago, and they said, you know, you single-handedly invented the whole genre uh, of Americana music way before anybody gave it a name. And I said, 
well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, look at your first album. You did a Jimmy Rogers song, a Dolly Parton song. You did songs that were very traditional in various genres. I, I, I did a New Orleans blues called Don't You Feel My Leg. Don't you feel my leg? Don't you feel my leg? Cause if you feel my leg, you might want to feel my thigh. If you feel my thigh, you're gonna go too high. So don't you feel my leg. You've always just done a collation of your favorite tunes. Exactly. It, whatever. And sometimes they have a theme. Like one of the last times I was nominated for a Grammy, I got nostalgic for one of my favorite kinds of music, jug band music, and so I decided to revisit that, and that was nominated for a Grammy. It was called Maria Maldar and Her Garden of Joy. And then the last one I did in New Orleans two years ago was a tribute to the woman who originally did Don't You Feel My Leg, which is probably my second most popular tune I ever recorded. People love to hear that. You can do all kinds of sensitive, artistic songs, but they rather like the smutty ones best, I'm afraid. <laughs> I wonder what that says about society. Yes, really, but songs are fun, and the people, the earlier blues uh, artists, were quite expressive in their musical expression of their sexuality. It wasn't as graphic as, as, as a lot of today's lyrics are. It was done more tongue-in-cheek. Left more from the imagination. Yeah, as someone said, imagination is the best aphrodisiac. So these songs just playfully allude to sexual matters, but in a way that's just lighthearted and fun. Remember when it was fun? <laughs> yep. Can I just ask you before I let you go, Maria, you started out in Greenwich Village in New York. You were performing with people like John Sebastian. In that scene that included Bob Dylan, have you maintained a relationship with him? Yes, I have. You know, I see him maybe once a year, sometimes at once every two years. Whenever he's in town, which is usually about once a year, I get to go and see his concert and have a little visit with him after the show. And um, and so we, we've stayed in loose contact over the years. And uh, in 2013, I believe it was, or 2014, I was privileged to be a special guest artist with Bill Wyman and his Rhythm Kings doing a six-week tour all over the UK and found myself with a day off in London the same day Bob was playing Albert Hall. So I connected with him there, you know, so we're both in our advanced stages still touring all the time. So it, it, it's been very gratifying to stay, stay. And I always tell him, as long as you keep doing it, I'll keep doing it. So doesn't look like we're slowing down anytime soon. It's amazing to me that he stayed so fresh and relevant and he's writing songs now and putting out albums now that inspire me just as much as some of his earliest best work ever did. Another day that don't end Another ship going out Another day of anger Bitterness and doubt I know how it happened, I saw it begin I opened my heart to the world and the world came Hello Mary Lou, hello Miss Pearl My fleet-footed guides from the underworld Stars in the sky shine brighter than you. You girls mean business, and I do too. Maria Maldau, lovely speaking with you. Thank you so much for the time. Congratulations on all the music that you've made and will continue making. Thank you so much. I haven't been in Australia in many a year. I have the fondest memories of being there. Lots of love to everybody down there. Thank you so much for your time, Marie. All the very, very best to you. 
Okay, thank you. Take care. I hope you enjoyed meeting Maria Maldau. What a gorgeous and very talented woman. And now from the streets of New Orleans, we head to the northern beaches of Sydney, Australia to meet one of this country's most popular artists. Do you know Richard Clapton's music? If you don't, you will soon. Capricorn dancer I'm riding to shelter Show me a sign Lead me on to the tropical zone Richard's coming up next. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. So good to have you company. Thanks for hanging in. As you're probably aware, if you're a regular listener, this segment of our show belongs to you. It's your opportunity to hear from the artist you'd most like to, and this week is no exception. Rod from Sydney wrote me via the website www.abreathoffreshair.com.au to ask if I could get one of Australia's consummate hippies and most beloved musicians onto the show for him. Rod asked to hear from Richard Clapton, who's had a total of nine radio hits since the 70s. This one was his first chart success in 1973, Last Train to Marseille. I'm sinking edge of the bed with my head in my hands and I'm feeling real down I feel all kind of jumped up inside and I just can't describe what it is that I'm trying to say but I miss you real bad but if I just knew how Describe it as a very hippie song. I had three Richard Clapton bands in London in the late 60s, and the last one I had was two Californians and a Canadian. At that point, I was, I'd never been into drugs, so I didn't really go near them. However, um, I didn't know that my bandmates were, were having pots sent over. You know, there's old, old Kodak film canisters, and I was just putting that in a post pack and posting it from LA. And so they all got busted. I had overstayed my welcome in London, and so I was unceremoniously marched out of the country. So what happens when you get deported, they put you on the ferry, dump you out of Calais, and just say, and don't come back. So I really didn't know what to do. There was an Austrian hippie girl, and we both took the last train to Marseille. Now, I don't think your program can cope with all the salacious details of what happened on the last train to Marseille. But I wrote a song about it, and I left out all naughty bits. And it was a huge hit. But if people do want more details about that, it's in your memoir, The Best Years of Our Lives. Yes. Richard has busied himself lately producing his most recent album called Music Is Love. It's the first time he's ever released an album of cover songs, and these ones pay tribute to his early influences like The Birds, Crosby, Stills and Nash, Neil Young and Buffalo Springfield. We culled it down to the 15 tracks that are now on the album. Which is your favourite? Oh, gee, you put me on the spot. Well, look, I'll tell you what, Cinnamon Girl. I want to live with a cinnamon girl So I can be happy the rest of my life With a cinnamon girl A dreamer of pictures I run in the night You see us together Chasing the Thank you. 
my first epiphany really was Bob Dylan. It's All Over Now, Baby Blue came on and the heavens opened up and this brilliant shaft of white light came shining down on me. That was my epiphany and I just said, I want to be that guy. And you fled Australia. Why did you actually go? What were you searching for that, that took you out of the country? Originally, I wanted to be a fashion illustrator which is such an anachronism now. Keith Richard also wanted to be an illustrator too, went to art school, and he said to me, man, you really got to go to St Martin's in the field in London. That became my goal. And did you become an illustrator? Um, yeah, I actually became a graphic designer. Richard, just jumping back into those early days, you also spent quite a lot of time in Berlin in Germany. W what did that hold for you? you know, I was the highest paid 19-year-old graphic designer in London. Now, ask me why I drifted into music to play for nothing. <laughs> I don't know. However, during my work holidays, my favourite thing to do was stick my thumb out and all roads always seemed to lead, lead to Berlin. In 69-70, Berlin was a hotbed for left-wing activists. Really, baby, we had it all. And, of course, you were writing music this whole time, weren't you? So there was plenty of food for thought. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And that first number one that you had was 1975 was, of course, Girls on the Avenue. Girls on the Avenue They're trying to get you in Strolling by with a rosebud smile They're all dressed up to kill Lean on the windowsill desperately poor, but I had really long, curly black hair. I went into a record company and there was no way I was going to get a job because my hair was so long. And I, I did. I looked like a hippie bum. And I just walked in and, and gave them a, a cassette. Last train I must say was, and I, I'd written about 10 songs in Berlin before I left. I waited in reception for less than half an hour and just produced a contract. That year, 1972-73, Cat Stevens was the biggest act in the world. So I come here, Greek looking with really long jet black hair, and I'm a singer-songwriter. And So that's why I snapped up. I did the Prussian Blue album. It got really great critical acclaim, but sadly it didn't sell. So Festival Records threatened me with an ultimatum that I either come up with a radio-friendly hit single or they're going to drop me. We lived in Rose Bay in Sydney. Our street was called Chalia Avenue. On the next street along the avenue, there was a house with three pretty girls. Do they know you wrote the song about them? Yeah. Um, so all, all the stuff about walkers and everything is it, just crazy. The record company hated it. The A&R Selection Committee rejected Girls on the Avenue six times. They kept insisting, song's a mess. I mean, what's the chorus? And then, and then the mainstream radio stations heard it. Next thing you know, it's number one. sit with you. You'd written a pop song. It uh, soared up the charts internationally. It was a very weird experience because I was all, all of a sudden I got swept up into the wonderful world of Countdown and when Girls in the Avenue was peaking, it was that weird thing of having girls chase you down the street and hang outside your house. <laughs> so this is what it's like to be a pop star. Did you enjoy that? Because you weren't the stereotypical pop star. No, and my intention was to go back to Berlin and start from square one. Richard Clapton, while you were here, though, you were one of the pioneers 
for this culture to start writing about Australiana. At the time, we were still in the midst of this cultural cringe where we looked to the UK and the US for music and nobody had really written about places and things and people here. What gave you the impetus to start writing about Australia? Because there was an embryonic little scene happening out of Melbourne with the Dingoes and Greg Quill and Country Radio. And if I'm to be fair and honest, they probably were the true original pioneers. It's just that I took it to a whole new level. And, I, I mean, I actually got a, um, an Australian council grant to go around the world. That's how I wrote with Tiger in Denmark because it was an underground subculture. And then I got caught up with the whole surfy hippie community, the original Byron Bay community. Hippies gone surfing. Of all those Australiana-type songs that you did produce at that time, which one did you like best? Blue Bay Blues. That was easy, wasn't it? <laughs> Why? Oh, I just think it's really up there with the best songs I've ever written. Next you're going to ask me how I write songs and how I would write something like Blue Bay Blues. Well, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. My chords from those early songs are so weird, I made them all up because what, what I would do is, is I was just this laconic kind of hippie they just lounged around and I'd put my finger here and another finger there. I'd go, yeah, that sounds good. Before you know it, I'd have four fingers on the neck and I'd go, wow, this is cool. <laughs> the only trouble is, you know, fast forward 40 years and guitar players go, we don't even know what you're doing. You'll have to play that bit. <laughs> Jane, you see how good the sky looks today. I'll bet they have fun up in by. I don't even know how I came up with those chords. They are very strange but hopefully beautiful sounding chords. Tell us about the dark glasses that always adorn your face. I actually started developing these things called pterygians. Yachties and surfers and even golfers get them, but show business people get pterygians because of the stage lights. In my day, in pub rock, the stage lights were actually dangerously close to your eyes. The ceilings were really low. So pterygiums, it's Mother Nature's way of trying to protect your iris. My surgeon said, if you're going to keep performing and everything, why don't you think about wearing, wearing shades? And I went like a wanker. So I just started wearing shades and it sort of became an image and, you know, I've just left them on. What is there that you still want to accomplish? That's a really good question and I don't mind telling you that I'm pretty stumped. I don't know at all, Sandy, where this is all headed. I don't know where music is headed. It's impossible to make any money. Girls in the Avenue Deep Water Capricorn Dancer are up to about 20 million streams. I'm earning deadly squat. Gypsies ride through Wonderland I took my horse down to the sand Underneath a thousand miles sky Watch the waves come tumbling down Heard so many different sounds It cleared my head and eased my worried mind Capricorn dancer I'm riding to shelter Show me a sign Lead me on to the tropical zone to look on the bright side, my live career is alive and well and very healthy. What song should we go out on, Richard Clapton? Which one are you most proud of? At the end of the day, probably Best Years of Our Lives maybe my conscience song. I think to my fans, after you know, after 40 or 50 years, like Best Years of Our Lives is their song. They, they think that's their anthem. Thank you for being with me today. It's been so great to catch up with you again. 
hopefully there's lots more to come still from Richard Clapton. Fantastic. Thanks very much for talking to me. Every time the wheel slows down I think of all my friends Whatever happened to the days way back The Bondi lifesaver was always reaching Standing here in Oxford Street And the ghosts are howling Jesus is advice, isn't it? Don't waste time. These are the best years of our lives. Thanks for requesting to hear from Richard Clapton, Rod. And if you have someone that you'd like to hear from, send me a message through the website. Again, it's a breathoffreshair.com.au. And maybe do me a favour, subscribe to the podcast and perhaps leave me a review. I'd really appreciate it. Look after yourself, won't you? And have fun until we meet again same time next week. Bye now. Because it's a beautiful day. You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.